Quarter to Three Games Podcast. My name is Tom Chick, and I am not playing One Finger Death Punch 2. My name is Nick Diamond, and I am not playing My Time at Porsche. Mm. And I am, of course, Jason McMaster, and I am not playing all sorts of stuff, really. McMaster, that's not how this opening bit works. All right. Okay, okay, fine. (laughs) I'm, uh... I'm not playing Dragon's Dogma. Now, was that so hard, McMaster? Come on. Uh, it, it wasn't, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also not playing Dragon's Dogma anymore. I got to a certain point, and I was like, I, 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 I'm going to move on. Yeah, yeah, I was when I was it. a child, I played with childish things. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. Right, well, we've already had a biblical quote here. Very nice. Uh, <laughs> what we are playing, though... Uh, I'll go ahead and tell you guys, because McMaster, I know you played this a little bit. Nick, have you played any of Anno 1800? Are are you above those kinds of games? Uh, Just a tiny, tiny bit. I'm, like, the tutorial area, and that's it. So you do, you do, like, you're into Anno's. I am. Okay. Uh, well, I've been playing Anno 1800 until I haven't been playing Anno 1800, because, thanks Ubisoft, my game broke. Uh, so this would have—I normally would have been burbling enthusiastically about this for about ten, fifteen minutes, but uh, I can't play it anymore because my whole campaign—you can—you can launch a sandbox and that's fine. These games are great for that. But the Anno games encourage you to start a campaign and they'll walk you through all of the various trappings of this iteration. They'll teach you the different systems. They'll introduce you to characters uh, and the resource system and all of that gets rolled out for you in the campaign and i'm okay with that because it's a pretty wide open campaign uh and eventually you can play it as a wide open game or you can say okay i've learned everything now i'm going to go play a sandbox game uh this particular campaign round about chapter three there are chapters uh it introduces you to the the dynamic of having a new world and previously the annos their city builders uh, and the earlier ones they were city builders set on on multiple islands. So you would have your city on one island, and eventually you'd have to sail across the map to another island and settle that one to get resources and then shuffle them back and forth between your islands. And it created this this commerce network that was really gratifying to manage. Uh, As of, I don't know if this was 2070 or 2205, I think definitely in 2205, they introduced this idea not of separate islands, but of entirely separate maps with entirely separate biomes. And there was a big overview screen. And in 2205, they were, I think, different parts of Earth, and then you could go to the moon, and there was even a space station, uh, super sci-fi cool stuff. And each one was a different kind of city, and it had different mechanics, and they all uh, played into each other. Different cities would give resources to other cities. It was uh, an actual realization of what electronics art, electronic arts tried to do with SimCity uh, 5, 6. Actually, I don't even think it had a number. They had that terrible misguided SimCity where you're supposed to have multiple cities and one city ships trash to another city and another city ships all of its children to the schools at another city and then commuters go to work at this. Like all these different cities you're supposed to play and have them interact with each other. Uh, Anno 1800 and before it 2205, they do this same thing. Um, so round about chapter 3 in Anno 1800, shortly after it is introduced to this idea of multiple maps by creating this uh, new world that you've discovered, 
and then you build a city on this new world and now you're dealing with your old world city which is starting to have industry and pollution and your new world city which is bright blue Caribbean waters and all of these uh, like Native American resources and you're making llamas and ponchos and cornmeal and tortillas uh, right after it introduces this new world you're given quests and that's what marks the advancement of the campaign is you finish a quest and then you get another one and they unlock uh, they're basically gating elements of the gameplay so i get an early quest in the new world and it's to go pick up some refugees at someone else's town and you sail a ship over there and there's refugees waiting by the harbor and they're like little dudes waving, waving their hands and they want you to pick them up so you go in to pick them up but in this particular case, there were pirate ships outside the harbor, and they sank my ship that was going over there to pick them up. No big deal. That happens. Pirates will do that. I've got shipyards. I've got plenty of ships in the old world. I just sailed the new one over. Went to, uh, you know, got, got plenty of attack ships with me so I could, you know, kill the pirates. Went to pick up the refugees and noticed that the quest to pick up the refugees was no longer in my list. So I was like, okay, well, I'll just pick them up anyway. I sailed in there, and I can click on them, but I can't get them to get on my ship. And I can click on my ship, but I can't select the refugees to pick them up. And since there's no more uh, quest in the quest log to pick them up, it seems like the game doesn't know that this is what I need to do. And furthermore, I have done every single other quest I can do. There's nothing else for me to do to advance the game at this point. <laughs> So these refugees are sitting here waving at me on the shore, and there's my ship ready to pick them up. But there's some campaign script bug that won't that, that that took the quest away. And I'm not the only one to have this issue. There are if you do you know normally you get into a bug like this and you do a Google search like uh, anno 1800 why won't the stupid refugees get on my dumb ship? And you Google that and you'll eventually get hits of people who create threads about this specific bug. And that's the case here, is that this bug has hit several people. And there was even a response from one of the Ubisoft community reps saying, oh yeah, okay, we figured it out, we're aware of the problem, we'll look into it. So today, a patch came out, April 25th, the April 25th update. I think it was the first big patch for Anno 1800. I haven't been playing for a few days, I was waiting for this patch, figuring, yeah, they know about this bug, they're going to resolve it. So I boot the game up today, I go over to where the little refugees are waving at me from the harbor. I've got my ship of the line ready to pick them up. Nothing. No quest. Nobody interacts with anybody else. I can't pick the refugees. The ship, the refugees can't get on the ship. I'm still dead in the water, literally. So uh, here I am. I, you guys can't see this. I'm flipping the bird to Anno 1800, and I'm either having to decide to uninstall it or to just start all over with the campaign or – more likely, this is probably what I'm going to do, uh, just start a sandbox game and say, okay, forget the campaign. Screw those guys. So there's a there's a cautionary tale for you guys if you're going to play Anno 1800 is beware of uh, the refugees on the, the dock so, deciding not to get on your boat. So I, um, yeah, I, I didn't have that bug or anything, but uh, I ditched the campaign pretty early and just went with a sandbox like a big boy. So uh, you should probably join me. Uh, but I've put so many hours into the stupid campaign, McMaster. Oh, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. Hold on, I'm going to um, tell you exactly. I mean, I'm not fond of like looking up at hours played on games because oh I because I think a lot of times that's just hours you left it running. But let me tell you how many hours I've spent uh, on just the campaign. I fiddled around with the sandbox. Uh, oh, uh, okay, five and a half. I thought it was going to be some crazy number like twenty. <laughs> okay. Let me let, let me see how many I've played. We'll we'll compare. 
Wait, how is it only five and a half? Okay, I guess that's fair enough. <laughs> Good God. Five so... and a half, though, McMaster, can feel... <laughs> I'm almost positive the little narrator has told me several times, you've been playing for two hours, go get a cup of coffee. But I guess that's right, he's told me that twice, if I've played 5.4 hours. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> so, so back up a minute. Yes. You actually want the refugees? I know, Nick, not really appropriate for this political climate, but there's no wall building. You can't build walls like you can in – actually, you can oh, no, build no, no, no. harbor Wait, walls. Yes. They're Europeans. Actually, no, no, they're they're Native American. Oh, oh, they're, they're somewhere in the Caribbean. oh yeah. yeah, you're gonna get the burn on them. Uh, yeah. yeah, so I got 14 hours in. And you, and when did you ditch the campaign? At what point? Or did you just not even bother with it? You booted up because I've seen oh. you streaming the early bits of the campaign. Yeah, okay, so here's the trick, right? So the open beta let you play the campaign up until where you blow through the hill and get iron. Right. So I did that in the open beta. So I just blew through it real fast right at the beginning. And then I got to that and I, I don't know. I just got at that point, basically, I was like, okay, whatever. And then the new world thing was kind of a surprise to me because I, you know, I didn't do the campaign that far, but it was, you know, it's not that, it's not that big of a deal. And I don't have to pick up any refugees. So that, <laughs> well, you do get quest, but it doesn't, uh, so, so clearly this, and this is what really bothers me. This is only something that like I'm not saying that Anno 1800 is buggy. This is something specific to their dumb scripted campaign advancement. Right. right, right. And if I had just played the sandbox, I wouldn't. It wouldn't uh, affect me. But the thing is, you put this. Well, it, it, it's 5.4 hours, but it feels like 15. You put what feels like 15 hours into a city, and you get super attached to it, and you like your layout, and it's super oh. intuitive. Like, okay, I know my iron is over here, and here's yeah. where I've, I'm raising my alpacas. Uh, all of that is uh, – it, it, it almost becomes like muscle memory in terms of going where you need to go to adjust things. And, okay, here's the marketplace I'm used to clicking on to see how many – what the supply and demand is. Here's my artisan district. Like, all of that – is stuff that you build up over the course of playing, and it's tough to let go of in the same way that it's tough to let go of a character that you've built up in an RPG. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I just need to say goodbye to the campaign, I suppose. Especially if oh, they haven't man. fixed it. Like, if they say, when, when, when a representative says, oh yeah, we're aware of the problem, and then a few days later a big patch comes out, and the problem isn't addressed, that that's like, that's galling to me. It's like, come on, you guys know about this. You know that multiple people are affected by it. You're on the verge of putting out a big patch. Just, you know, change whatever value in the any file you need to change to fix this for me. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's usually an any file that's a problem. I found right. that. Yeah. yeah, they just have to change a one to a zero. Like, uh, yeah, refugees will get on boat equals zero. They probably accidentally put that in there. Just delete right. it and put a one, and then they're good to go. They've fixed it. Yeah. So You, but, should, but, uh, you should hex edit it. Oh, hex editing is way too complicated. I can I can edit an any file, but a hex editor, McMaster, that's way above my pay grade. You can incre <laughs> that, increase your hit points and stuff. That, download a totally uh, safe, trainer. Uh, trainer, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you'll be fine. Uh, you'll be fine. I guess I could, yeah. But no, I'm I'm gonna do what McMaster says and just go to the the sandbox. So McMaster, when you started a sandbox game, you were confronted with normal. Uh, I guess it's probably intermediate, expert, or custom settings. On the game you've got going now, what did you pick? Baby mode, normal. Oh, McMaster, you would lecture me about putting on big boy pants over there in your diapers. 
Well, yeah, <laughs> but I didn't, you know. <laughs> All right, I, fine. Here's the deal is I did uh, just out of disgust because you boot up Anno 1800. This is an Ubisoft game. It takes a while to boot up. You know, you, you've invested <laughs> the time starting the game and getting to that game screen. So I invested that time starting the game up. The campaign wasn't working, so I was like, fine, I'm going to go start a sandbox game. You're looking at the options for the sandbox games, and I'm like, okay, I know enough. I'm ready to play on expert. So I started an expert game, and uh, <laughs> come on, I'm, I know the systems. I'm good at this game. I can do resource management. I know not to over, not to underdevelop schnapps for my population. I know how to give them fish. I know how to lay out a road network, uh, but apparently not well enough because the expert yeah. game pretty quickly. I, I, I ran out of money and realized, okay, I've uh, I, I've hit a brick wall here. I, I've played wrong. I'm going to have to restart my expert game. Yeah, it's it's mostly money. Um, that's yeah. the difference, right? <laughs> I mean, for the most part, like your starting cash. And what I what I thought about doing, McMaster, I mean, I'm sure there are people who do this, is get a positive cash flow going and then leave the game running overnight. Oh, that, man. Is that funny? <laughs> no? Come on. No, it, no, that works, actually. Um, the, I did that uh, while I was work, uh, not working, but I was doing something. And uh, yeah. on my computer, I alt-tabbed out and left it running. Yeah. And, uh, was, and I was gone for like half an hour. Came back, it was a nice surplus. <laughs> yeah, imagine doing it for eight hours while you sleep. Yeah, see. Right. But then I'd probably wake up and just have been destroyed by Ann Harlow or something. Well, that, yeah, that is the thing. Yeah. The worst thing in any builder when you're trying to boost yourself like that is to come back the next day, <laughs> open it up. Ah, crap, like five minutes into it, I had a fire. Right, exactly. Right. <laughs> like your yeah, entire city just burned to the damn ground. Yeah. Right, yeah. So I'm king of Ash Mountain. <laughs> so I thought about going through McMaster the custom settings and just kind of jiggering how I want the game to be set up, but I'm kind of resistant to I, I'll probably do that, but I did notice things like one of the things that you can do in Anno 1800, and this was in 2205, uh, it's super easy to, to just move buildings around. So like if your potato farms are in the way of where you want a church, no big deal. Just I, The hotkey is M, press M, click on the potato farm, click drop it where you want it to go, no harm, no foul, nothing's changed, it doesn't interrupt the supply and the demand of potatoes, uh, and then you put your church there. Uh, that is a setting in the easy mode. Like that oh. is – and I didn't realize oh, yeah, this. Yeah, yeah like it's I was sort of thinking – refund amount, right? Exactly. Like yeah, if yeah. it's a 100% refund amount, they just assume you might want to rebuild it. Uh, so you can move it or destroy it, and neither one is going to cost you resources. If you destroy it, it's just refunded. If you use the move option, it's going to assume, yeah, you want to spend the resources you would have been refunded to put it over here. Uh, when you play it anything above baby mode – Nope, that's gone. No mm -hmm. more freely. You got to commit to where you put your stuff, uh, oh, and I'm I'm attracted to that. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, I, I do think yeah, like I I enjoy once I've learned a game, seeing how it feels when it starts pushing back a little harder. And I yeah. that's so here's what I'm gonna do. I've railed against this bug for, and I I'm probably just gonna go ahead and start playing on not super hardcore expert, not baby Jason McMaster mode, but <laughs> intermediate mode. That's where I'm headed. Yeah from here i i didn't play as much campaign as you i didn't stay in the tutorial for six hours like somebody <laughs> so I, I had to start i mean this is still my original game so mcmaster so, do you know though how um do you know how influence works uh no actually not really 
Well, if you'd played the campaign, I, I, I would like to say, McMaster, if you'd played the campaign, you would. But even in the campaign, I, that's something that hasn't been explained to me yet. So I'm thinking, well, somewhere down, because it's an intriguing screen. You open the influence screen, and there's the option for free charter routes and free zoos and free military right. things. Like, there's all this cool stuff on there, and I'm like, I want that. And I don't see how to buy it. And I think it's it's gated by either stuff in the campaign or gameplay dynamics I haven't unlocked yet. And I'm just assuming, okay, somewhere down the line it's going to teach me that stuff. Uh, so if I start a sandbox game, I'm going to be none the wiser about uh, influence, which is a shame because it seems like a significant system. Uh, so I was wanting the campaign to teach me this stuff, and I guess now I have to go read a dang wiki or something. You know the problem, too, is that like the campaign has by far the stupidest campaign beginning I've ever seen in a game. What do you mean? What's wrong with it? The dynamite fishing? Why is that stupid? It's just a huge waste of time. It doesn't teach you anything. Really. I disagree. I disagree. It teaches oh you how God. to use No, no. I mean, because I, I, maybe if you'd played a little bit long, actually, you've played three times as long as I have, but I was going to say, <laughs> uh, one of the things that I found in the campaign was a torpedo, and it's something that you can equip on a warship, and oh, it's a yeah. one-shot uh, attack power, and I think... It's a little early to be teaching you that, but I think that's what the dynamite is getting at, is, hey, you can equip your ships with cool stuff. Uh, we're going to give you this one-shot power to play with. But yeah, it is a little absurd, but I think it's there for a reason, even if the reason isn't something that would come into play for another you know, oh. five, ten hours. I, yeah, I guess I hadn't thought about that, but it's just like, I guess, and I did it like three times. Uh, so I was the uh, third time, I was like, oh, God. You do sit down to play a city builder, and one of the last things you're going to expect is to be chucking dynamite in the water at fish. Yeah. Yeah, just immediately. <laughs> yeah. Right off the gate. <laughs> right, right. Uh, so, Nick, do you know the other Anno's? Like, if you were – let's go around the table. Nick, pick a favorite Anno. Can you do that? Ooh, uh, was it 1705 or 1700? They all – they all uh, – uh, yeah, they all equal nine, though, which is the thing. <laughs> So it would have been 1701? No, that's not right. Yeah, but the one several a... ones back that was set roughly in this era, you're saying. Yeah. That, was, I, that was the one I spent a bunch of 1602. 1602. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so so Nick, you're old school. McMaster, do you have a favorite Anno? Um, Dawn of Discovery is what got me into it, I guess. Is that 1404? And something like that. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, it's like those games are awesome, so uh, I've played every one, but that's probably, I guess, my favorite. So 1800 has not displaced 1404 in your heart? Well, I haven't played it as much, but no. I mean, but then again, to be fair, I mean, grass is always greener, you know? So. <laughs> 1800 is visually stunning. It really is. Oh, so ah. <laughs> I think you just made Nick sick, but yes. Yeah, so, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna be a weirdo here and say as much as I love 1800, my overall takeaway is it's kind of a reskinning of stuff that they've been doing the last couple of iterations. And while I like it, and I love the little expeditions that they've added, uh, I do like some of the quality of life improvements. Uh, I think I'm still super fond of 2205. I just like there's something about sci-fi city builders that I that I really enjoy. Like it feels super arbitrary so, in in this game for me to be making ponchos and schnapps like i have no frame of reference for why do people need ponchos and schnapps i just don't get that and the that's okay goofy. 
Yeah, but that's okay in a sci-fi game. Like when I have to make cybernetic hands and uh, machine AI gel uh, and you know, aluminum shoes, like all that stuff in sci-fi settings kind of works for me because I just let my, yeah, it's science fiction, whatever, who can say. Uh, so I, I think I, I'm loving 1800, but I think I'm still partial to 2205. That's the, man, I think you, that's a weird one. Uh, it is. Uh, yeah, because like most people do not like that game. I know, I know. So don't uh, tell, yeah, it is weird. Yeah, no, and it's fine. I, like, I think it's an interesting game. I just didn't expect that, I guess. Uh, I, like, I liked 2070 a lot, though. Um, yeah, yeah, 2070 was, uh, yeah, but it led up to, 2070 is like the introduction to 2205, McMaster. No, well, that's true, yeah. I mean, they have iterated, basically, so, yeah. I mean. And, yeah. McMaster, let me tell you something about 2205. I bet you can play all the way through the campaign. <laughs> well, now. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly, yeah. <laughs> a few years later, sure, yeah. Why not? All right, so uh, Nick, what are you? You're playing something that I felt like I should have played, and we talked a little bit before we recorded. Uh, and I don't remember the specific game, but I, you know, it came out when there was a choice of probably four great things, and it was a casualty of some of the other four great things. So, what have you? Are you have you gone back and played it, or have you been playing this all along? No, I've gone back and played it. So I'm playing uh, Far Cry New Dawn, mm-hmm. which is the uh, kind of uh, side uh, offshoot uh, sort of thing, sort of like uh, Far Cry Primal or uh, what was the the 80s one, Blood Dragon. Right. Uh, so, it's, now, you know, it's smaller team, smaller kind of focus game, uh, but basically now real quick, Far to, Cry. To situate it, uh, Primal was like a standalone full-priced release, but wasn't Blood Dragon like a little $10 add-on or something? Yeah, I think Far Cry. Well, I think it was twenty. Okay. I think it was a twenty dollar. Uh, yeah, it, it was something like that. As yeah, opposed yeah. to uh, 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 Far Cry Primal, Primal being a, a full blown forty nine dollar. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Full. So full. Where, full game. Where is New Dawn in this scale of things? Uh, New Dawn is. I think it's. Uh, well, for price wise, it's. I think it's forty. Thirty nine ninety nine. So I. I think they sort of drew back from the Primal. Uh, you know, premium price point or whatever EA would call it, uh, and uh, it 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 very much does feel like a uh, Far Cry Five uh, mini sequel. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, unlike Primal, let's say, which really felt like its own game. I mean, yeah. especially if you enabled like the survival stuff, um, everything was very much. Uh, hand-to-hand or spears-based with, you know, arrows being really your only uh, ranged weapon along with throwing spears. Um, Far Cry New Dawn is pretty much, uh, I mean, it's very similar in terms of, like, the weapon selection and the quest. uh, little Like, the story bits are obviously different, uh, and you have uh, a different set of antagonists, um, but it's it's the same area. It's just colored differently. It's it's a lot pinker and greener now than it was as regular uh, Hope County, Montana. Now, um, are you mentioning this as a criticism or an observation? Like, does this bother you? No, it doesn't bother me at all. Yeah, that, yeah, that was a weird – that was like a weird criticism with Far Cry Primal that some people had. Uh, it, it turned out Far Cry Primal apparently took the terrain data of Far Cry 4 and just kind of 
you know, spun it into Far Cry Primal, right? But it was it, it was one of those weird things where people were like, oh my god, look at them, they took such a shortcut, it's so lazy. And it was like, well, I mean, it's the terrain, but everything's colored differently, there's different landmarks, the animals are different, the quests are different. But Nick, when you go like over here and you're, when, when you're standing on a hill over here, you were standing at the same elevation when you were playing Far Cry 4. Right. <laughs> and when you were walking down a slope in this area, that's the same slope you were walking down in Far Cry 4. Yeah. That's just lazy. <laughs> Super upsetting. <laughs> I yeah. I, I, and I'll be honest with the Far Cries, with the exception of some – all the Far Cries, with the exception of some very prominent – uh, f- like feature areas on the map, you could you could pretty much blindfold me and drop me off into any random spot in a Far Cry map, and I I wouldn't be able to tell you where I am or what's going on. Right, right. <laughs> I'd have to walk for a while before I figured out like, oh okay, I, mean, I must be in the one area with the wolves. <laughs> well, well, in defense of Far Cry New Dawn, they're specifically making it a post-apocalyptic iteration of Far Cry. Uh, uh, the, the, of Far, what was it? Far Cry Montana. Whatever. They're they're specifically making it the post-apocalyptic iteration, so that you're supposed to see some of the same landmarks, right? Very much. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you're supposed to see the same landmarks. Uh, the people are much older. How spoiler were you getting here? I would say not too much because I was super deli- I was super surprised that I I didn't know if it was like a a, a fallout kind of thing where it was 300 years in the future. Like I, I kind of thought that's what they were doing. But as I was playing, I realized, wait a minute, we're close enough that characters from the first game might still be alive. Uh, so that's where I've gotten, which is maybe, I don't know, played an hour, hour and a half, so not very far. So I would say for me personally, be spoiler averse. Okay. Then I will say that, uh, yeah, it's it's much closer to Far Cry 5 time-wise than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Um, I sort of jumped into it with the same idea you did, where it was going to be, you know, a couple hundred years in the future or something. Right. It, it takes it a long not. time for pink flowers to grow everywhere. That just right. doesn't happen in five years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like it. Yeah. It's it's it's. I think two decades is the is the okay. time period apparently in the story. So, uh, it's very similar. And uh, to not get spoilery, you do run into uh, people from the first game. That have apparently survived. And that, by the way, they they imply or make clear like that. That's something that is the, the prospect of that is is made clear like within the first hour or so. Like early yes. on, they're like, "Hey, you might consider that this character from the last game is over here, maybe." Like I, yeah. I like how they kind of tease that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the one thing I like is they've taken the they've taken that uh, kind of base. The, the cave tribe mechanic from right. Far Cry Primal, and they've turned it into, like, your... I think it's Prosperity is the name of the place, which is, like, your post-apocalyptic uh, tribe, I mm-hmm. guess you would say. It's, it's that... They've kind of taken that mechanic, and they use that now as um, not just a way to unlock, you know, features for your character, but it, it's almost... Uh, these are your story gates, the upgrade to the tribe uh, mm-hmm. here. Whereas if you're familiar with Far Cry 5, it was very uh, gated by the story, right? Mm-hmm. It was, you'd be doing something, you're running around and, oh, you know, evil Joseph Seed's brother 
shoot you with a sleep dart, and now you're into the next chapter. Right, right. Um, in Far Cry New Dawn, it's more as you progress doing things and you, you know, you get enough resources to upgrade prosperity, that, you know, drives the next chapter of the story. Do you feel that one approach or the other is, is better? Uh, so I... I, 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 and I think I said it in the podcast with the uh, with where we discuss Far Cry store Far Cry Five story. Um, I super hated the sleeping dart mechanic <laughs> in Far Cry oh, Five. Sure, sure. I just mean uh, as far as how to how to tell the narrative, like where it goes along at the game's pace versus you decide when different bits of the story unlock by upgrading the the story but yeah the the interruption thing with the sleep darts that i completely understand um yeah it's i mean it's sort of a i guess it's a double-edged sword right like the you upgrading your base to compel the game to move on to the next bit of story is you know feels very gamey and artificial Mm -hmm. um but at the same time i'm not being yanked out of you know, open world shenaniganry. Right, right. Right, which is, which is, I, I think at this point, I think Ubisoft and most of the fans for Far Cry kind of know that's where their bread and butter is, right? It's, it's running around, acting a fool, shooting things, and, <laughs> you know, off in the distance, there's a wolf pack attacking a semi truck, and there's a guy with a flamethrower screaming while another person shoots at them, you know? <laughs> Now, now I want to ask you about that gunplay, but first, uh, the the thing that I really appreciate uh, that they're doing with that form of storytelling and the upgrades, and I see it also in the Division Two, is I love this idea of, and I might be reading too much into this, but I love this idea of all of this crazy gunplay being in the service of something constructive, of building a society, of making a home for people, of creating a a space that's safe for children and commerce and and a supply of clean water and food. This idea of gunplay as almost nation-building rather than just going out and killing people and tearing things up. Like, I like that kind of uh, moral positive reinforcement to slaughter uh, then, uh, right. uh, and and but, it's very much a part of uh, Division Two as well. Yeah, I, I, yeah, and it's it's a uh, it, it kind of like if you look at the, I think the 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 gameplay like it's a bit of a tangent, but if you game if you look at the way the story moves in, let's say Red Dead Redemption versus Red Dead Redemption Two, mm-hmm. right? Red Dead Redemption Two has that has that you know, motivation where everything you're doing is to, you know, take care of your gang. That's not a tangent at all. It's exactly the sort of thing I'm talking about, Nick. Yeah, Yeah, and it feels good. Like, it feels good. You may do something terrible, but you can justify it by saying, well, yeah, but I'm, you know, I'm bringing back food or I'm doing whatever for my gang or whatever. Um, As opposed to James Marsden, who would just, like, shoot up Mexico for the hell of it. Like, (laughs) yeah. He was just on a rampage. Uh, but yeah, yeah, exactly. John, but Arthur's taking John care Marston. of his family. Yeah, John, excuse me, not his son. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the the one so far, uh, the my my main criticism would be that the main antagonists, and it's plural in Far Cry New Dawn, I don't find them as compelling. As Come on, Nick. They're the, the Negan th- twins. It's like having two Negans from Walking Dead in one. Oh, I know, I know. Oh I know. boy, there's a point. There's a point in the in the game. 
Uh, again, not spoilery, but there's a kind of pivotal battle point where they come and attack uh, you. And it, the the plan is so terrible and so ham-handed and stupid. I Like, after it's done, I just feel like, okay, look, I could just gather up my little homies <laughs> that I've got on my roster page, and I'm pretty sure I could run over to their HQ right now and kill everyone <laughs> over there. Like, I, <laughs> they, these guys are not a threat to me. I do, like, they don't scare me. I'm not intimidated. This is ridiculous. <laughs> Who is the least awful villain that Ubisoft has ever come up with? Ooh. That's a tough are, are one. We talking Dude, all that's of, a tough question. All yeah. Of they're all, all of Ubisoft. Awful. Assassin's Creed, Far Cry's. Uh, yeah, when, when is Ubisoft oh. not made an annoying all villain? Right. I got I got this one. The Pope yeah. in Assassin's Creed 2. <laughs> 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 Master, you might, hit it. you might have found it. Yeah, that might be the least annoying villain. Yeah. Oh my God, that game! The Uber Pope. That is amazing. <laughs> I love, I love that game, and especially that it ends with a fist fight with the freaking Pope, with the Pope, Super Pope. Yeah, <laughs> I think you've got it because otherwise their villains are just cutscenes that annoy the hell out of you. That's that's their right. idea of villainy. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure yeah. I'm missing one. Come on, they've got to have like a super clever one. It's great. Ubisoft has really struggled with storytelling for the longest time, though. Like, I feel like they're only in the last maybe three years uh, really starting to get it right. But, uh, like, their their lead characters and their villains and their stories have just been... uh, I think maybe it started turning around around Assassin's Creed Syndicate, maybe. Uh, But, yeah. Syndicate was okay, yeah. Maybe, Uh, I don't know. (laughs) Like, you could look at uh, Assassin's Creed Odyssey. As much as I love that game, Mm -hmm. who is the main villain? Oh, I can answer this. Like, what? I have an answer Time for this. Time itself. <laughs> well, the main the, villain the is off-screen. Uh, it's that aliens, it's, right? Well, it's that cult screen. Like, the main villain is an organization, and I like this idea that there's not just one person chewing scenery. That it's a it's a whole little society, and you've got to go kill each annoying person in the society. Some more annoying than others. But I like that rather than having one guy pretend to be a psycho, which is what Ubisoft games normally do, you've just got uh, that society screen. and you see, It's like a, it's like Arya's list in Game of Thrones. It's like you're ticking people off one at a time. Uh, but yeah, you, you are right, though. Uh, in Assassin's Creed Odyssey, that's, that's, of course, the best they've ever done with a lead character. Uh, I, I will agree with that. Yeah. I will absolutely agree. I, and... Far Cry continues probably to have the worst main characters because right. you're the silent protagonist throughout. Far Cry has roughly, honest to God, the worst everything as far as writing is concerned. <laughs> I, like the worst villains, the worst, you know, the worst main characters. McMaster, you're, 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 I think what you're saying is really rude to the awesome uh, sidekicks in Far Cry 5 and, and New Dawn. Come on. Okay. That's okay. great writing. Fair enough. And you know what? I'll also give Far Cry that you could just sit there for 15 minutes in the one. Far Cry, what, four or something? And win. And win. I'll <laughs> give it that. Like, like that, I could understand that bad guy a little bit, too. He just wants you to, like, hang out for a minute, and then you, you get to leave. But you're just an asshole and kill everybody, so whatever. I think the 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 best illustration – still the best illustration of Far Cry's story is – the opening of Far Cry 3. Oh, God. Where in no uncertain terms, the game tells you, you are the douchiest human right. being on the planet. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. 
It's like that game is just baffling to me, <laughs> like on every level. Oh. Uh, so Nick, amazing. In... I love the the midpoint of Far Cry Three, where in the story your character gets the opportunity to to leave. Like, hey, you can leave. Like, now this is done. But of course, your character's like, nah, I gotta finish things up and kill everybody. <laughs> Vengeance, yeah. Yeah, you know, obviously. Uh, Nick, you mentioned the uh, the basic gameplay, that emergent chaos stuff that Far Cry 5 did so well. I presume that's uh, in evidence in New Dawn. Uh, does anything change the feel? Uh, like, for instance, isn't there, uh, like, craftable weapons? Is that a big deal, or is that just a kind of a bullet point gimmick? Uh, is there anything that changes the fundamental nature of running around, shooting things, enjoying chaos? No. Okay. I would say not, no. It, it, the, there is weapon crafting, but it's... Uh, I mean, it's as interactive as when you crafted drugs on your weapon wheel. Right, right. You're just mm. gathering parts, and then you go to a workshop table in your home bases, um, and you press a button, and okay, there it is. There's the new gun, and it and the guns are very Far Cry. It's there's an assault rifle, here's an SMG, here's a pistol, here's a shotgun. And then there's a level two SMG and a level two shotgun and a level two assault rifle. Well, you've left out. Of course, there's probably you know a sniper rifle too, Nick. Don't forget that one. That's true. That well, yeah. the um, one the one big twist that Far Cry uh, has is the uh, saw blade launcher. Right. See. See. Yeah. You can't have that, that in Far Cry Five. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Could not possibly put a saw blade on a springy launcher. No. No way. Uh, is there a dismemberment effect in Far Cry New Dawn? Like a saw blade launcher, presumably, it's going to lop off heads and limbs, right? Uh, nah. Oh, man, no. I hate that. I hate that. No. I hate that even in uh, in Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Like, you're, 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 any game that's going to have sword play and flinging blades needs to have a dismemberment system. Otherwise, no. I'm out. Yeah. All right, you know what? I'm, I'm uninstalled. Actually, I didn't. It's not installed now. If it had been installed, I would uninstall Far Cry New Dawn until Ubisoft patches in a dismemberment system. Yeah. So. Well, plus they don't have your 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 cougar pet. Oh, peaches is what? Yeah. Yeah. If there's, there's no if there's no future peaches, I'm not interested in that game. No. No. You get a, a there's a different dog and there's a, a boar. Oh, oh but bullshit. you know what? You know what though, Nick? The dog can ride in a car finally. That is true. That is that, true. You know, okay, I'm I'm reinstalling. I'm I'm on board now. I'm back. They on board. put a that's a bullet point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> McMaster, speaking of dismemberment systems, can you dismember things in Sekiro? Like, can you, can you lop off someone's arm? Uh, well, like the main character gets his arm lopped off at the beginning <laughs> of the game. Oh right, <laughs> so, it's, so it's scripted. But when you're fighting those big dudes, because you got a, I don't know, a katana or whatever, when you're fighting those big dudes, can't can't you like cut off their arms? Have I been playing too many zombie games? Is it just me? I mean, there's not so much dismemberment. There's a ton of blood in that game. Like that's that's the thing. It's like it's all like jamming a, the, your katana straight into somebody's like chest, you know, and then ripping it out, and it's like blood sprays everywhere. You know? But you can't cut someone's arm off. I mean, it's not not unless it's just kind of that's how it goes. All right, I don't know how I feel about this. All right, well, actually, I'm not. There's no danger of me playing Sekiro anyway. So, no, no. <laughs> McMaster, tell us about Sekiro. Never get killed or keep dying or what's it? Um, what, die, twi die twice. Die twice. Yeah, yeah. Shadows die twice. <laughs> tell so, us about this. 
So I mean, everybody knows it's a difficult game. I mean, that's your thing. Whatever. I don't want to. I don't care about that. Um, the, Wait, the what? Thing... What <laughs> do you mean you don't care about that? That's that's like the fundamental fact of playing Sekiro. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, from the from software like Mystique line, uh, point of it. Um, but I mean, assuming everybody knows how the Souls games are and how that works um, and Bloodborne, etc. It's you know we can just get that out of the way. Everyone well, you're not you're, you're saying not that you don't care, but it's just it's not an objection you would raise about the game. Like you're going in wide-eyed and and clear that this is going to be uh, difficult. I mean, and it's like yeah, there's also of course the argument to be made when it comes to difficulty about how much of it is their design scheme and how much of it is the actual difficulty when it comes to like using UI components and stuff like that. Uh-huh. But anyway. Um, the thing that I find interesting about Sekiro is how the different parts fit in with kind of all their games. Um, like, I like the story to Sekiro, is basically what I'm saying. Like, the, the fact that um, the Dark Souls games, like, well, one thing I find interesting is the Dark Souls games were all voiced in English, even in Japan. And, uh, and this one was, uh, was Japanese, suggested. Because of course they're gonna do a translation um, as the uh, as the language, and it's, it's this kind of weird like, is it the real world or is it part of the souls like dying world or what? Where does it fit into the game's timeline? Stuff like that. Actually, McMaster doesn't because I know you start out uh, you're basically a retainer to some young prince or something, right? right. Is he right. identified as like a prince of Japan or is there? Do you know what he's the prince of? Is there any real world reference? Not that I'm aware of. No, okay. I mean there could be, um, but the whole storyline is really kind of weirder than, of course, it is uh, than you see just from like the beginning, mm-hmm. um, because you know the, the prince never ages. For instance, uh, you know, does, does enough time pass where he should be aging? Yes. Oh. Um, and uh, he's also. Uh, very uh well i don't know see i don't want to get into spoilers unless people care well it sounds like i mean it sounds like something that it's a selling point to the game like it sounds like these narrative developments are one of the reasons to play right like the cool things you find out yeah yeah right so i I don't know right yeah so maybe that's not a great line of discussion so the other point but you are saying uh, that appeals to you i mean you're when when you're bringing up because that's something too that a lot of people have talked about dark souls and one of the things they like about it is the way that these fragments of storytelling come together and create this weird mystérious whole uh that h w h o l e not a gap uh that folks like me who just like ah, i can't kill this werewolf i'm i'm done uh that I can't appreciate because I haven't gotten through the difficulty level, but one of the rewards for getting through it is piecing together these little narrative fragments. And you're saying that's part of Sekiro as well. Right. It's like how they kind of, uh, the story comes together because you don't, you don't really remember anything your character doesn't. And there's a lot of explanation for that. It's not just amnesia. It's, uh, can I, can I guess? Sure. You're a robot. <laughs> how did you know? It's, it's amazing. Uh, no, um, all right, but yeah, no. I, I guess really what I'm saying is that the story is is really fascinating. Um, uh-huh. And then uh, the other side of Sekiro, of course, that's interesting is it's 
there's so many bosses in that game yeah. that it starts to become ridiculous after a while. <laughs> like, um, you know, in the Souls games, you usually had to, like, fight through all these areas and you explored and all this stuff. And there's some pretty cool areas in Sekiro. But you can't swing a dead anything without hitting a new, a new boss in that game. Um, it's now, just it's intense. It, is there a sense? There's a sense that some things are boss bosses with a capital B, and some things right. are like sub bosses, lowercase b, right? Right. So, and that's also kind of tied into the way the game um, your character progresses, right? So, like uh, instead of having souls like you did in the older games, you, when you kill, like, a mini-boss, you get a, a prayer bead, and if you get four of those, you can increase your your stamina and your your posture, which is, or poise, you know, which is the big, the big uh, kind of, like, um, instead of vitality or damage, it, it's like if you get somebody to a point in their poise where, where they, they, you break their attack, then you get, like, an instant kill on them. Um, and, and isn't that... Isn't that also part of you? Like, you can be one shot. Like, it's not like you've got a big pool of health that's constantly being chipped away, right? Right, right. Um, You, uh, I mean, there is a big pool of health, but, okay, so, yeah, it's a little weirder. Okay, hold on. (laughs) So, so how much health you have um, dictates how quickly your posture regenerates. Mm -hmm. And posture is what? Like, attack juice? No, it's how many uh, attacks you can block ah. before before your guard is broken, and then you're basically um, you're open. So, um, say so, several of the bosses, and this is where I think people got tripped up. I know I did at the beginning. Is like if if you're used to playing the Dark Souls games, you just have to get all their health down and go through the phases. Well, it's not so in in these. Once you get them to a certain health threshold they don't regenerate their their poise or whatever very quickly. Mm-hmm. So you have a lot more time to damage it, and then you can just kind of whittle that down and, and kill them that way. And you you damage their, you know, their, their posture by uh, poise, what the hell ever, uh, <laughs> via, via, de- via deflection or via attack or, you know, certain um, specific uh, types of deflection and dodges give you, like, extra damage to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so of course, keeping that in mind, they they also usually have several lives. So it's um, wait what? You, what do you mean you several to, lives? You have to kill like you have to break their their poise or whatever several times. Oh, those and, are the, and kill them. The red so, dots. Right. Okay. Right. So, I thought it's not like you kill them and they come back and you have to kill them again. Right. Okay. Well, I mean, there's plenty of coming back to put it. That way. But it's not like, oh, I won this fight. Oh, wait, now I have to replay the whole thing. Oh, well, um, yeah, there's some shit like that in there. Uh, but, uh, oh, jeez. <laughs> no, I'll, I'll share later with you. There is a Twitch clip that someone made of me when I got through, like, this boss. I'd been playing for, like, three hours, and then he came back to damn life and kicked my ass. And it's like, it's just me looking at it like, oh, man. You know, like, it was just like, uh, I just, I don't know. Anyway, it's a tough moment. Uh, but, uh, so why shattering? <laughs> yeah, why are you still playing it then? Oh, I like mean, why I'm, would you play such a game? Because it's intriguing, you know. I mean, there's a mastery to it, I guess as well. Of course, you know. I mean, it's the feeling of doing something 
um, well. Uh, but of course, that also goes against the whole idea of, you know, the 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 accessibility of gaming, which is a big topic with Sekiro. And my feeling is accessibility is overrated. I mean, and I understand that, but I also understand the other side when it comes to like actual disability, you know, and stuff like that. Um, I mean, actual disability, like somebody who can't, somebody who's like yeah. physically disabled, and right. right. Well, uh, I mean, but okay, but you don't. That doesn't. Okay, <laughs> I mean, I guess that there's this. That's just weird to like. Why would a design need to cater to people with a physical disability? No, and and that's you know. That, is that, that is that like a rude thing? Is that a dick thing to say? I it's maybe not right now, but it probably will be in five years. I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's like I, I don't understand anything anymore. Uh, I, I mean, I can, <laughs> I'm gonna put that down as a quote, Jason Master. I don't understand anything anymore. <laughs> <laughs> My life is a lie. <laughs> but it seems to me that uh, like I can't like if I had lost my thumbs i wouldn't be able to play mortal Kombat, for instance like why would i why would i why should i also be able to to play sekiro like i i I sympathize with anyone who's got a disability that keeps them from playing certain games but i don't think that means that a game's design should take into account a specific person's disability that that just seems like a specious uh criticism to me but i guess maybe that's a dick thing to say i I should yeah, I don't, I don't know. Um, I guess what I would... Yeah, I don't know. It's hard to say. Because like some games can offer accessibility options that aren't really that detrimental to the design. Sure. Yeah, colorblindness options, for instance. Like It's never occurred to me that the, the people who are colorblind have certain issues. So oh. it's always cool when I see a game has an option to change the palette to where colorblind people can more readily um, see the differences. Like, I love another- that. Another great one is there's games that have the option to make things where you have to tap stuff really fast to hold in, instead uh, for people that can't, you know, like that's, just really ha- that's, hammer a button. Yeah, as someone who's been playing uh, One Finger Death Punch 2, that's baby mode. Come on. you got to be able to, like, <laughs> wail away on a button. That's that's a, that's a part of video gaming. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. How yeah, you just played track and field without that? Right, exactly, no. Nick. Yeah, there's a long tradition going back to having to whale away on one button. Yeah. No, nobody played track and field really. I mean, let's be realistic my, here. My pencil played track and field. Exactly. Dude. <laughs> nobody actually like my friend had that stupid running pad, you know. Oh my god. It was so stupid. And they had this, they had this like back massager, and you could just put the damn thing on there, and your character just take the hell off. Yeah, it was pretty hilarious. Um, I was there was a bit in because uh, there are every now and then sequences in One Finger Death Punch too, where you do have to like quickly press a mouse button, and it's pretty forgiving. But before you know that, you're like me, probably just gonna spaz out on it because you're totally in the zone, and that game is so into reflexes and doing things quickly. So I got to one of those those quick press, 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 and you're filling up a bar, and the light is blinking, and I was playing in a window, and at some point, at some point, my mouse cursor went outside of the window, and suddenly, like, I'd opened the Windows menu, and it brought some tab over, uh, and there was my browser. That's the worst. <laughs> yeah, and I just, it, it was, uh, it, it was devastating, and needless to say, I didn't succeed at that particular struggle in uh, one finger death punch. <laughs> uh, so, McMaster, the, uh, the difficulty thing, too, um, 
and it sounds like this is part of why you're playing. Like, it's just so gratifying when you do, after those three hours, get past that one boss. Like, there's nothing quite like that. Yeah, and like, and like I said, the, I really enjoy the, the writing they did in this game. It, it's a lot more, um, I don't know, of course, it's a lot more, like, narrative than just kind of discovering the falling apart pieces of, you know, of an empire through its items. But... Uh, this the the writing is uh, is fascinating to me. Uh, it's it's pretty cool. Um, but uh, and on you know so you want to see what happens next. You you, you get invested in it. And um, you know the other thing that's so great about the game is like I said the, the areas there's a lot of bosses and stuff. There's also a lot of really cool design going on for their their levels. They have the best set pieces. Um, they're like just they're, all like little villages, right? Sort of. Like, there's also a giant castle that you have to climb, basically. Like a giant, you know, uh, Japanese castle. Master, I've never seen a castle in a video game. That's uh, stunning. Yeah, but you go over the entire... <laughs> I'm just like... Ugh. But the whole, the whole thing is rendered, right? Like, it's the entire... Like, you, the entire castle, plus its moat, plus the dungeon under it, plus the top of the castle, all the rooftops... It's all you. You spend time in all pieces of it. I do love that when you see something in a video game and know I could go over there. That's yep. a real thing. That's not just like a skybox. I do love that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. And there really are some just kind of breathtaking, like just vistas in that game. I mean, it's just such an attractive game. Like, yeah. uh, um, would you say it's visually stunning? That's uh, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It totally is. Um, <laughs> But, you know, another thing that I... And this is the last thing I'll say about it. Another thing that I find interesting is that the PC version, you can do 60 frames per second, and the console is stuck at 30. And that kind of sucks. Are you playing on a, on a console? No, I have oh. it on PS4 and PC. So you're just saying uh, it sucks. You feel bad for people who are playing it on a console. System. Right, right. And, you know, I have it on there, and I thought about it, and then I was like, you... It literally is... Everything is, is tougher. Because of, because there are more frames per second, you're saying? The, Tougher on, for you or for a console? For a console. Okay. Because there's, cause there's less frames per second. So that okay. gives you less reaction and less uh, uh, less chances to block something. Yeah, but it but it gives it that cinematic feel. Right, right. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's like it makes you feel like you're sitting in the back of an old timey saloon. <laughs> right. <laughs> You're, you're watching. You're watching one of the uh, the picture shows in Red Dead Redemption Two. Right. Somebody got on the old Joanna and started belting out an old tune, and we were just watching the old, the, the in the moving picture shows. I am so glad. I don't think I would notice it. I mean, I probably would if someone were to explain it to me. But I don't think I appreciate the difference between 60 and 30 frames per second. Like, is it something that would be clear if you were to look at two videos side by side of Sekiro for a PS4 versus a PC? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. To okay. me, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it has to be at least thirty frames per second. But really, the difference is just it's the smoothness of it. It's easier to tell. Wait, why is Sekiro didn't strike me as an ambitious engine? Why does it? Why is it only thirty frames per second on a console? I do not know. All right. I mean, I don't know. From from is something else when it comes to engine programming. We'll just say that. Do you know, was it the same case for the Dark Souls games? Like, are they 60 on a PC and 30 on a console? I believe so, yeah. Until, yeah. Uh, and Demon's Souls. Uh, I don't know about Bloodborne. I think it might 
wonder if it hit 60. Well, Bloodborne, I wish it was on PC. So. Well, I was, yeah, I was going to say it's not on PC anyway. Yeah, so there's Demons, no comparison. <laughs> yeah, I wish they would do Demons and Souls and uh, Bloodborne on PC. That would be fantastic. All right, so uh, Sekiro, how, now, McMaster, is there a sense, like, I guess you, you can finish it, of course. Uh, how close are you to actually finishing Sekiro, and will you ever? Oh, yeah, no, I'm fighting the last boss. But I also, oh. along the way, I, I've i taken a good while because I've killed, like, every optional boss. <laughs> so it's taken me, like, a long time. What what but, level like, are you in Sekiro? Uh, I've got, <laughs> I think I've got almost, like, I'm missing, like, a couple of prayer beads i just need to get fun oh, i guess them. those are like levels i was griefing you right yeah. okay fair enough okay yeah how, how yeah. many points have you put in dexterity oh a lot <laughs> well that's the other thing is like the the, the main bosses drop what, what are called memories and if you, you use a memory it increases your attack power and that's that's the uh definition that we oh. or the differentiator that we were talking about earlier do you have how many pieces of legendary gear do you have Oh, uh, well, there's the prosthetics. Those are uh, gears. Are you, you, but did you get that far where you were changing prosthetics? No, probably not. No, I, I, I am acquainted with that part of Devil May Cry 5, though. Oh, yeah, well, that's what <laughs> um, so. But, yeah, no, you, you eventually you, you get all sorts of different um, prosthetic arms to do crazy things. Like there's one that's uh, like an iron umbrella that will block things. You know, like that. They call that a shield, McMaster. Right, right. But it's, <laughs> I, it's like an umbrella. A case. collapsible shield, right. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> uh, all right, so McMaster, uh, and what? so what's the holdup? Go ahead and finish the final boss already. Like, it's just a matter of getting in there. Like, you probably know all the patterns now. You just can get in there and do it in, in a few seconds, right? Oh, yeah. No, I got it down. Just, <laughs> just set aside, like, six hours, man. You're good. Oh, and yeah. That, and that's only for its first life. It'll come back to life after that again. <laughs> No, no, yeah. Uh, All right, so McMaster, I look forward to in two weeks, uh, two weeks hearing about you having beat the final boss in Sekiro without using a cheat. Oh yeah, yeah. We'll we'll hope that happens. Yeah. Uh, And in two weeks, we will be back to talk about what else we're playing. There's a new zombie game out tonight, you guys. You know that it's Days Gone thing for the PS4. Yeah, I'm uh, actually curious about that. I, uh, it's the guys that did the, it's some guys that have just done a bunch of racing games, though. Uh, which makes me think of... Did they also do SOCOM? They did SOCOM? I think they did, uh, if I remember well, correctly. Still not an open world game. I'm just I mean, always, yeah, I'm always leery. Ago, so. Yeah, and I'm super leery when someone does an open world game who has no experience, uh, in, in with that genre. So... Uh, yeah, I'm tempering my expectations for Days Gone. But you know what? We'll find out shortly. So, All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, it's been a little Anno 1800, some Far Cry New Dawn, and McMaster, who can't get through the end of Sekiro yet. <laughs> but we wish you luck. Uh, join us in two weeks. I'll be back. I am oh. Tom Chick. I've been here with Nick Diamond and Jason McMaster. We'll see you guys in two weeks. Cheers. <laughs>